When we come to the message of this morning and this afternoon, and uh, I'd like to begin by reading the passage, Luke 2, 1 through 20. So let's read it. I'll read it. Luke chapter 2, 1 through 20. Hear God's word. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went, from, went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which is come to pass which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that, were, that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. God bless the reading of his word. Shall we pray? Father, I do thank you, Lord, for this portion of, of Scripture. I thank you, Lord, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is where it starts. It starts with the Son of God. It starts with his coming into this sin-cursed world and and coming as light in the midst of darkness. Oh Lord, how we thank you for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And do, Lord, thank you for all those that worship him and serve him. And I do remember, before I forget, uh, Hans Schmidt, who worships you, even with his family now, restored from his serious persecution that almost cost him his life, and Lord now is awake and out of his coma, spending time with his family. 
and especially rejoicing in the Lord, his Savior. And so we thank you, Lord, as well for this blessing. In the name of Christ, our Lord. Amen. Do you have room in your heart? We have room for many things, and yet what we have room for, especially in our heart, are the things that we want to be there. There are three questions I would raise with regard to this passage that we are considering this morning, one of the nativity passages. And the first is, did you know that there was no room for Jesus to be born? Caesar Augustus controlled the world, or so he thought, what he did not even remotely suspect was that he was but a tool, a tool in the hand of God. When he sent out his decree for the whole world to be taxed, and that included this Palestine, which was now part of his empire, he did not know that he himself was part of a larger master plan of the ages, and that is God's. Christ would be born in the city of King David, which is called Bethlehem. Imagine, he was of that lineage. And that's how Christ would be born, the greater David to sit upon David's throne. But we'll talk about that another time. The head of every family had to register with his wife, in this case, and child, in the city of his ancestry. And that's why Joseph and Mary and Jesus traveled to Bethlehem. The next thing we read is Mary is giving birth to Jesus and is being laid in a manger. When it's time, it's time. Sometimes the birth of a baby is early. I know some of you have had uh, preemies. My sister-in-law, for example, her youngest, Juan, was very early, six months. And yet, by the grace of God, he is here and he is a professing believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. So what do you think about the birth of the holy child of God? Of course, of all human births in the history of the world, this birth would be exactly on time. We know how important that is in terms of the logistics of the family and even of the doctors who would be involved and nurses that would be involved in, in any delivery. It says in uh, Galatians 4, what we have heard already, but when the fullness of time is come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman and made under the law, to redeem them that are under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. What does that mean when, it, uh, when the fullness of time was come? Well, that's what you think it means. When it comes time, when it's the due date, God's time. It's always God's time, by the way. The due date is, whether it's on time or late or early, it's always 
God's time. In this case, exactly on time. When God's time looked like it was off, such as in these circumstances, or uh, perhaps Joseph's uh, timing was off, as it were. Because, look at verse 5, it says there, and she was great with child. And they were en route, just like people who have wives that give birth in an ambulance or in the car, even. Look where God's son ends up getting born. In a manger. A manger is a feeding trough for animals like cows and horses and mules and pigs and sheep. Maybe sheep. Yeah, sheep. That suggests that Jesus was born in a stable or a shelter for animals. It says in, in Luke 2, 7, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Those are like blankets, you know, because it was very cold. And laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. And that part at the end, because there was no room for him in the inn, sounds so parenthetical. Like, by the way, there was no room for him in the inn. There was no room for the Son of God, to be born into this world. And we assume there was only one inn in the whole town. It's a small town. And yet we know God was not caught off guard, was he? He never was caught off guard. He's always advanced, if anything. And he guided praying Joseph and praying Mary and the one that she was bearing to the manger at his appointed time. No accidents with God. And that night, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords would be, was, born in a stable and laid in a manger. It says in God's Word, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's not the written word. That's the living word, Jesus. Jesus is called the word, the logos, la palabra, uh, uh, salita, that's the Gaulog. Anyway, word. The same was in the beginning with God. In other words, he was God with the Father and the Holy Spirit, who are the three persons of the Blessed Trinity. And then it goes on to say in John chapter 1 called the prologue in the beginning of the ministry of our Lord and Savior according to John. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. There it is. What theologians call the incarnation, meaning God became flesh. He didn't actually change or morphed from God into a man. He took on a second nature. He became the God-man. He had two natures, divine and human, both. And he continues to have that, that nature, that human body with his divinity in glory now. If you want another witness in First 
Timothy 3.16, what does it say there? 1 Timothy 3.16, a second witness, because in the mouth of one or two witnesses, let every word be established. It says in 1 Timothy 3.16, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. I'll keep reading, even though we're really focusing on on just that much. Justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Oh, the depth of humiliation to which the Son of God would be brought. Like the hymn that I am... somewhat basing this message on. I'm drawing from it. That is the hymn. Thou didst leave thy throne and thy kingly crown when thou camest to earth for me. But in Bethlehem's home was there found no room for thy holy nativity. Oh, come to my heart, Lord Jesus. There is room in my heart for thee. And so... Based upon question one, and again, what is that? Did you know there was no room for Jesus to be born? We may conclude as the answer, yes, there was no room for the Lord Jesus to be born in this world. Now, there's a second question that I'd like to pose to you, and that is this. While the world has no room for the Lord Jesus, yet do you know he always has room for sinners like you and like me. After all, this is why he came. Is it not? The lowly child of Mary offers us something that the kings of this earth and the rich men and the great men cannot. And what is that? Eternal life. Eternal life. There was a situation which I'd like to draw your attention to for a moment, and that is one such individual called the rich young ruler. That's what we call him. That's what the Gospels identify him to be. And that is in Mark 10, 17 through 22. So let me turn to it. Mark chapter 10, 17 through 22. Hear God's word. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these things I have observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing that thou lackest, go thy way. Sell whatsoever thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up thy cro- the cross and follow me. And he was sad at that saying and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. 
this rich young ruler, as he has been called, had everything money could buy. And not only that, he was a pretty moral and decent fellow, respectable in his community. And he knew it. And it was nothing to him to say it. It's like someone says, you know, no boast, just the truth. <laughs> but one thing that he did not have was treasure in heaven, eternal life. And he knew that too. Why would he be asking Jesus for something he already had? And it does not indicate that he got what he was after from Christ, does it? We're left kind of hanging there. But it was not for any lack on the part of our Lord. The Lord, it is said, beholding him, loved him. He did everything possible to present the gospel, as it were, to him. To present him the way of salvation, him. The very Lord himself, the very one who is the way incarnate. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man can come to the Father but by me. And, in, and even he wasn't successful in his gospel endeavor with this individual. And it says that this young man was sad at what he heard. He was sad. He was grieved in his heart. And why would you think he was sad and grieved? Because he loved something more than Christ. That's why. He loved something else than Christ. That's how it is with us sinful human beings is that we love other things or other people above the Lord. That's, at least that's how many of us started out. I don't know about you, but I know that's how I started out. And I, and I have to be honest, John, about it because that's the truth. And I was a wretched, miserable, and poor and blind sinner. And really, my nature in me, I'm still that. In me, that is my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Paul said that of himself in the book of Romans when he was talking about living the Christian life and what it means to live the Christian life. And he was speaking about himself. We don't change from being sinners, except that now we are sinners with a Savior. And that's the difference. That's what is different about a Christian. Jesus is a gracious Savior, and boy, oh boy, when God gives you the eyes to see him, you know it, and it's like there's no more argument, there's no more discussion, there's no more playing the devil, devil's advocate. You just, everything drops, and, and you're there on your knees at his feet, worshiping him. One thing was for sure with this rich young man, he knew the right person to go to, that's for sure. That's for sure. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. The world's treasure may attract us for a while, but it doesn't last. All that glitters is not gold. And it quickly passes through our fingers. And as someone said, there's no pockets in his shroud. Even though 
we don't use shrouds anymore. <laughs> Where is Augustus Caesar today? The one talked about it at the beginning of our story. Well, like, like every one of them, like even many of our presidents, I've been thinking about some of our presidents of, of late, going through all the presidents of the last century and, and, and thinking about where they are and their spouses. As for man, the Bible says, his days are as grass, as a flower in the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. That's how it is, here today and gone tomorrow. That's in one perspective, the story of our life. And it's true, it's true. But it's not all, obviously. Because at that stable, in that manger, the kingdom of Christ started with Joseph and Mary and a few shepherds and wise men that extends far beyond the borders of Caesar to this day. Another stanza of that hymn Heaven's arches rang when the angels sang, proclaiming thy royal decree. Degree, sorry. Proclaiming thy royal degree. But of lowly birth didst thou come to earth and in great humility. Our Lord says, our Lord says, which shows his love, which shows his love, like the love that he showed to that rich young ruler who turned his back on him. The Lord says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Again, a question. While the world has no room for the Lord Jesus, yet do you know he always has room for sinners like you? And like me? And the answer Jesus has room for sinners like you and like me. And then, lastly, the last question Do you have room in your heart for the Lord Jesus? Do you have room in your heart for the Lord Jesus? I need to emphasize certain words, right? <laughs> Get the point across. Or is your answer like that of the innkeeper? like on the front of the bulletin, right? No vacancy. You ever seen that sign, no vacancy? I've yet to see an inn or a hotel or motel that's, that has a no vacancy sign. <laughs> and, it, and if there was one that has a va no vacancy sign, there's like 10 other hotels right beside it, okay? <laughs> I've yet to sleep out in the cold. And yet our Lord said in his public ministry, during his public ministry to his disciples, foxes have holes, Birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. There are times when he was out in the cold. He lived like a homeless person. Do you, any, do you know any homeless person? Maybe you don't. Do you see homeless people? For whatever reason, they're out there. 
It ain't a place that you and I would want to be, right? And your heart has to go out to them, no matter what the reasons are, they're out there. But keep in mind this, our Lord was also homeless from the time of his birth, from the time of his birth. It says in the word, he was in the word of God, he was in the world and the world knew him not. He came unto his own and his own received him not. But it doesn't stop there. Because if it did, then he would have gone right back to heaven. He goes on to say, but as many as receive him, to them gave he power to become the children of God, even to them that believed on his name. See, that's our hope. The whole world would be like that inn in Bethlehem, but for the grace of God. Unbelievers deep down inside despise his name. I know I'm fresh from the field, and I can tell you, it's still echoing in my mind, some people who just outright says, I don't believe it. I don't care. Don't tell me about it here. And gives it back. So it's real. Have you ever had anyone reject you recently when you endeavored to give the gospel to that person? Unbelievers deep down inside despise that name. If Jesus were to come down and do it all over again, they would still say to his face, I hate you. That's what they said to Jesus. Our Lord says, the world cannot hate you, but, it hate, but me it hated. Because, because I testified of it that the works thereof are evil. He's, he said it like it was. He didn't mince his words. He didn't uh, call uh, a, a spade an agricultural implement. I, I remember uh, a former pastor uh, used to say, he called a spade a spade. He called sin for what it is. And what it costs. And what it costs. Look at what the children are exposed to in governmental schools. The public schools are governmental schools. Okay? You can, you can research that. I've had decades to research that. And especially since we had kids. Obscenity. Perversion of the worst kind. That is being taught flagrantly. In your face, like this is what you're, we're going to teach your children, whether you love it or like it or not. And they'll shove it down your throat. And that is what is happening right now in this state. I know I'm, I'm getting carried away. Excuse me. Pardon me. I didn't mean to. Uh, in secular colleges and universities, let's move to another point. And that's like SDSU and UCSD even and... Uh, Grossmont, uh, where we've been, there's plenty of room for secular humanism and atheistic philosophy and even pornography and magazines that, that uh, promote uh, every sexual sin under the sun. And this is, you can, I got a copy, I threw it away. I figured it, it's not even worth looking at. It's, it's so terrible. But what about biblical Christianity? It's that. <laughs> or we don't want that. We don't want that. 
you literally have to force your way in with the gospel. And by the way, that's our American right and freedom of speech I'm talking about. So we have every right to be there like they do. But room for Christian ethics and Christian principles upon which Western civilization was established? Forget it, they insist. And now they will fight you tooth and nail to keep Christ out. Sorry, Jesus, no room. And not only that, they would do it all over again and put him on the cross if he were on this earth. So professing Christians, professing people of God, how about you? Do you have room in your heart for the Lord Jesus? Where do your sympathies lie? Are they for him or against him? That means against him. Because you can only be one or the other. There's no neutrality in this, in this matter of serving him. There's no neutrality. Either you are with the Caesar of Rome or with the one we him, born the king of angels. And so, in answer to that last question that I asked, do you have room in your heart for Jesus? I would love to conclude that there's room in every heart and everyone in this room. I would love to conclude that there's room in every heart of every human being in this world. But the truth is, it's not the case. So I'm still left with the question, or rather should I say, we are still left with the question, is there room in your heart for Jesus? But my problem is that I'm a wretched sinner and I don't deserve to have Jesus dwell in my heart. That's a good sentiment. That's a, can I say a biblical one? Because who does? Doesn't the Bible say, for the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, and who can know it? To have Christ come and live in that cesspool? To make his temple, the temple of his Holy Spirit, my heart? So evil and, and wicked and deceitful? But yes, that's what the Bible says. But let me say this. If this is you, if this is you, it is you he came for and me he came for, right? And it is when you and I realize in our heart and life that it is like that filthy stable in which our Lord was born. There is hope. For God does not ask you or I, are you worthy? Because there's none righteous, no, not one. There's not one that understands. There's not one that seeks God. All we like sheep have gone astray, and the Lord hath laid upon Jesus the iniquity of us all. Only Jesus is worthy enough for sinners. He's worthy enough for himself to get himself back at the right hand of his Father, but he's worthy enough to bring along with him to heaven, to glory, an entourage of Undeserving sinners that have, have the righteousness of Christ and have the atoning work of Christ to wash away 
their sins as far as the east is from the west. For God has made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And as Revelation declares in Revelation 5.12, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Jesus took sins like yours and mine, yours and mine, who are believers. He took your sins and my sins, who are believers, and brought them to the cross and paid the terrible price that was required by God. And so he endured our hell on the cross. The thrice holy God decided that his son should pay that debt that we owe. And paid it, he did. And then God used the resurrection to be like that stamp canceling our debt, paid in full. Paid in full. Paid in full. And those that are in heaven now, and one day we will be joining them, are singing a new song, a new hymn. And that's, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and has redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, tribe, and tongue, and people, and has made us unto God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. So again, God does not ask for our worthiness. He just asks or tells us, do you have room? Do you have room? Room in your heart. In Revelation 3.20, and I'll end with this. It says in Revelation 3.20, because maybe you're already a Christian, but maybe Jesus is not in your heart or there on a regular basis, I'll just say. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's in and out. He's like in and out. And so maybe that's your situation and not that you're an unbeliever. So, Revelation 3.20. God has all the bases covered. <clears throat> Behold, these are the words of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. There you are. There you are. So it's as easy as opening the door. It's as easy, it's as, easy as opening the door of your heart and letting the Lord in. And I'm speaking to you from the word of God. And so if you have, sing and rejoice as that hymn goes on to say, Thou camest, O Lord, with the living word that thou should set thy people free, but with mocking scorn and with crown of thorns thou bore, they bore thee to Calvary. O come to my heart, Lord Jesus, there is room in my heart for thee. I trust that this is helpful to your faith. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we are thankful to be able to commemorate your incarnation and hopefully in a way that would make it more personal and more meaningful in our lives. 
that we might take this time to actually spend with you and to draw near to you in thoughtful meditation and contemplation and fellowship. You have said, Lord Jesus, that, that you will dwell in us in the Father, that you will not leave us, leave us comfortless. I will come to you. And that is because of your Holy Spirit coming into our lives and indwelling us and making our hearts the throne room of our God and of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do this, Lord. Do this work, we pray. Apply your balm of Gilead to heal our sin-sick souls as we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ.